Okay, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Starting off a new series tonight that is probably going to take us all the way to, to Lent. Lent and beyond. But maybe a break after Lent. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. Okay, so Luke, um, we're just going to kind of jump in and, and, and do a little introduction um, to Luke tonight. And so um, a little bit different than maybe um, some of the stuff that we normally do, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But so, again, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we ask you that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work in our hearts, God, that you would... Uh, form in us as we read your word, God, even as we, as we read a text like this that is, um, God, oftentimes maybe we just read past it and, and we read it as if it is only an introductory um, kind of passage to a text. Uh, God, we know that your word is, is infallible, that it is sufficient, that it is authoritative, God, and we know that you, have, that you haven't wasted any words um, in your scriptures. And so that we ask that you would even use this text, um, God, to teach us. Uh, to train us, to form us, um, God, even to um, rebuke us, um, to make us recognize ways that we have fallen short. Um, but, God, in all these things, um, drawing us close to yourself and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, God. We ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our minds, um, our thoughts, our values, our patterns, our expectations, um, God, our reactions, that you would change all of these things, that you would shape them in the likeness of Jesus, and that we would be more like him every single day. Um, God, we cannot do this out, uh, without you. Uh, we cannot do this on our own. Uh, we need your grace. We need your power um, working in our lives. And we know that we have that in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you. We praise you for this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're going to start this series in Luke. And, and Luke is a little bit different than what we've done a lot of um, recently. Honestly, it's, um, and people have different, when it comes to preaching, people have different opinions about this stuff and kind of different maybe, I don't know, like skill sets or, or comfortable um, kind of comfort zones or whatever. But um, some people find it harder to preach and to teach out of something like the Gospels, what would be called a narrative text, right? Okay, and so we've been in Ephesians recently, right? And Ephesians is an epistle. It is a letter that Paul is writing to describe and instruct things. There's this kind of flow of an argument that you can see throughout the text of it. Um, that's how most of Paul's letters are. Um, the Gospels are different. Um, they, they aren't written in the same kind of way, right? The Gospels are narrative. They're telling a story, Right. But it's not just any story. It is it's it's the story. Um, one, one commentator has kind of described the, the Gospels as a theological history. OK, so what that means is not a history of theology. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 
teaching you history, teaching you the events that have taken place, but teaching them to you in a theological context, right? Um, We are being taught something about who Jesus Christ is um, and what he has done. And that's probably obvious to us as believers um, if we've been reading the scriptures for any amount of time. Um, But the key is is this. As we're going, narrative works differently than something like those epistles um, would, right? Um, Sometimes the principle that is being taught, the thing that that we are supposed to get out of that passage, is, is a little more veiled. Um, it's a little maybe nece- a little harder to discern in some cases. Sometimes it will be obvious, right? Sometimes the words of Jesus or the situation will present itself obviously, but sometimes um, we have to do a little more digging um, to see what is being what is taking place, right? And so Luke in his gospel is is, is certainly teaching us, right? Um, but we have to make sure that we catch what his, he's teaching. And so in any narrative passage, so really you can go back to the Old Testament um, narrative passages, anything like First uh, and Second Samuel or First or and Second Kings or, or really Genesis and, and most of those kind of texts, um, you have to do certain things, right? You have to pay attention to characters. That's not really something that you do when you read an epistle usually. Um, you have to put, pay attention to setting, to the dialogue. There's a plot. Not only to the larger story, but there's a plot to each individual little story throughout. Um, surprising things happen. When something surprises you, that's something to focus in on. Um, you have to watch how the story progresses, right? We engage with narrative text differently than we engage with other kinds of texts in the scripture, right? And so, so as we read Luke, uh, I want to I wanna just kind of start off as an introduction to Luke um, in terms of three titles that, that Luke has been given throughout the history of the church. Sometimes you'll hear Luke referred to in three different ways. Sometimes he'll, he'll call, he's called Luke the evangelist. Sometimes he's called Luke the historian. And sometimes he's called Luke the physician. And so I think each of those point to something unique about um, uh, Luke's gospel and, and us starting to dig into it. So let's start with that first idea, Luke the evangelist, okay? So again, let's read verse 1 and 2. So Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also. All right. So, again, you may not have ever heard um, the 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 four gospel writers revert, referred to as the evangelists. Um, maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are often called the four evangelists. You actually notice it in and for one for in church art a lot of times. So. So, for example, I'm trying to think it may be New Providence up here. But when you go into New Providence, they have a big stained glass window at the at the front of the sanctuary. And Christ is standing in the middle. And then on he's he's flanked by two Two men on each side. And those two men on each side are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And so they are, it's sort of this symbolic picture of the four evangelists pointing towards Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Gospels are doing, right? Um, they are pointing us towards Jesus Christ. Typically, in, and sometimes in art, even in the church, you don't even see them presented as people, as humans. You see them represented symbolically. And if you didn't know what those symbols were, you may not have ever noticed it. Um, Matthew is presented as a man oftentimes in church art. Mark is presented as a lion. Luke is presented as a bull or a calf. And John is presented as an eagle. And so sometimes in church art, you'll see a guy and a lion and a bull and an eagle standing around. And you're like, what are these, guys, what, what are these animals doing here? Why are those guys there? Well, it's the evangelists, right? It is, it is, the, it is the artistic representation of the gospel in, in that art. And so Luke 
is an evangelist, right? And that means that he is a speaker of the evangel, the gospel. The good news is coming to us through this story, right? But it's coming to us through a narrative. So Paul, uh, so Luke says this. He says, I came, I'm, I'm, I'm here to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, okay? So Luke is telling this story about what Jesus has done. Okay, and again, maybe you might say, well, isn't that obvious, right, Ash? But, but it's something that we should make sure that we understand. Luke is saying these are the things that have happened, right? These are the things that have happened around us that we have seen that people have been eyewitnesses to. And I'm recounting these things. I'm not making up a story. This isn't a legend. It's not a myth. It's not just a, it's not just like one long parable, even though there are parables within it. I'm not just making up a story to try to teach a principle. These are things that have been accomplished among us. And so, just like all the other Gospels, um, Luke is saying, I'm taking you straight to the events, right? I'm going to tell you what Jesus has done. In many ways, if you think about it, Paul is actually sort of interpreting the Gospels in a lot of ways, right? Like there's the events that took place in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and then Paul comes along later and says, what does this all mean, right? Like how do all these things line up, and what, how, what's the bigger picture here? But in the Gospels, we are being taken straight to the events, right? We are seeing Jesus teach these things and do these things and live this way and, and be crucified and resurrected. Um, and, and Luke is doing that. And all the gospel writers are doing that for a purpose, right? They're bringing us straight to Jesus, which is an important thing, that we would know him, right? That we would not see Jesus through another lens. Although, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Paul is, is, is separate somehow, right? Obviously, this is the inspired word of God, and so Paul's words about Jesus are Jesus' words about Jesus, right? But instead of seeing it through the lens of those theological things, we are going straight to the story itself, to see Jesus, to know him, to have faith in him, to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus himself. And that's one of the things, honestly, that I'm looking forward to most as we start studying um, in Luke. And I hope that you are looking forward to that and will be blessed by that as well, right? Um, again, we can, we can tend to focus and we have tended to focus in, in our sermons on, on Paul and his epistles. We've, we've tended to go in that direction, right? Um, but there's something special about going to the Gospels and dwelling directly on the work uh, and life of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you're going to be encouraged by those things. I hope that as you see Jesus Christ's uh, life in these in these uh, in this gospel and in these stories, that you will draw closer and closer to Him, um, that you will know Him more truly in the character of Jesus Christ and what He is like. Um, because this is a story, right? But it's not just any story. It is the story that gives all other stories their meaning. Um, it is the story that gives all other stories their coordinates, even your story. Okay, And so to recognize that as we go through this gospel, um, this is not just a story that happened 2,000 years ago. This is your story is tied to this, that um, the main story of all of the universe is tied to your story as well. The, the things that have been accomplished among us affect us even today. And so I like there's a, there's a commentator named Joseph Fitzmeyer um, who wrote a commentary on Luke, and he just has this little kind of phrase, and he says, the message of Luke is this, what has happened has happened indeed, and God meant something by it. Okay? What has happened has happened indeed, and God meant something by it. Okay? And that's exactly kind of in a very general way that the, the message of, of um, 
of the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the, one of the big distinctions in the Gospel of Luke is he's, he keeps on referencing back to how Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, right? And all of the Gospels do that in some ways, but Luke has a particular interest there. So it's some, just some sort of general information. Honestly, probably some of the kind of stuff that you could read if you've got a good study Bible and you could just kind of read in the intro. Uh, but just to kind of set the stage for our study, uh, it's generally believed that Luke was the last of the synoptic Gospels that were written. Okay, So if you're not familiar with that word, the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. Okay, John, if you read the Gospels, you recognize something very quickly. John is different. Um, it's written differently. It has a different tone. It does different things. John is kind of different from the other Gospels. But the three that are very similar to each other in some ways are Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, And so we think that Luke was probably the last of those written. Uh, tradition had always basically said that Matthew was the first one written. But modern scholarship has kind of maybe tended to favor maybe Mark. Um, although there are differing, differing opinions about that as well. But pretty much everybody agrees that Luke was influenced by both of those two. Okay, So Luke was writing his gospel, having read and had access to not only Mark, but also Matthew. Okay, And actually, um, when we look at the text, that, that is what we would assume, probably, from just reading what we just read. Did you notice what he said? Luke said, many have undertaken to compile a narrative. Right. So he's saying there's lots of people who have already tried to do this, probably including Matthew and Mark. There are potentially other people who had written down partial accounts of the life ministry teaching parables of Jesus at this time. OK, and so Luke is not the first one to do this, but obviously what he adds to it, God um, is using him specially. Right. Um, I don't know who these many people are who wrote all those other Gospels, but apparently they were not, um, the Holy Spirit was not using those people the same way they are using Luke, because Luke's word has come down to us in the Scriptures, and those other ones have not. And so I think probably the case is this, is that the reason why many people were writing these things down is because something, um, and there's probably multiple reasons, right, and this is a little bit conjecture, but probably something special happened in the year 44 A.D., Okay, so we're thinking Jesus died somewhere between probably 30 to 34. We're, you know, we're not positive today, probably 32, somewhere in there. So we're talking about 10 to 12 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And something important happens in the year 44 AD. James the Apostle is arrested and executed um, for uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ. All right. Um, around the same time, uh, the apostle Peter is also arrested. And you remember the story probably from Acts chapter 12, where Peter is arrested, he's put in prison. And then in the middle of the night, there's this miraculous release, right? An angel comes and the doors open and he gets out and he is able to, to escape the trial that was supposed to take place the next day and probably his execution as well. And so we kind of look at it and it's one of those stories where we go, man, the, the providence of God and how he works out his will. Why was James executed? And why was Peter not? And, and there's no way we can answer those kind of questions, but that's what we see. But probably something happened when James was executed and Peter was almost executed. People probably started going, you know what? The gospel very likely is going to cost us our lives. It's certainly going to cost the apostles their lives. And it may not be very long before all the apostles have been executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that happens, we're not going to have any of these eyewitness people 
um, that can attest to the teachings of Jesus the way they can. Because up until that point, that's how the gospel had been being spread, probably, right? Most of the uh, most of it was just the apostles' teaching, and then other leaders who were, were being brought up in the church, they were learning these stories and orally um, teaching them and, and spreading them uh, and taking the gospel to other places, right? But But until that time, nobody had really written them down. And so people start going, we need to get this stuff written down, right? So Mark probably does that, and Matthew probably does that. Obviously, these other people start doing that. And so perhaps many people are compiling um, these stories uh, and in and, and the life of Jesus. Luke is, is a little later in that process, right? Luke probably is writing his gospel around the year 60, um, maybe early 60s, okay? Um, we think it's probably before, one, the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 A.D., and it's probably before the death of Paul, which we think happened during the persecution by Emperor Nero around 67 A.D. And the reason why we think that is because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And when we get to the book of Acts and we get to the end of it, Paul is still alive and Jerusalem has not been destroyed yet, which seem like pretty big, important things that you would include in an early history of the church, right? And so we assume that he is writing these things before those events have happened. So, so Luke tells the story, though, in a very unique way. He, there's, there's different things about Luke's um, gospel um, than the other, than the other uh, evangelist writers. Um, he brings out unique themes, so, so one thing to notice, and maybe you've just you've never thought about it or whatever, but Luke, in some ways, seems like I don't know, maybe I'm, it's just me, but he seems like he is less emphasized than the other gospels, right? It's kind of a goofy question, but like you'll you'll ask people a lot of times, "Hey, man, what's your favorite gospel?" Right? Like, which one do you like reading the most? And I feel like Luke is the one that I hear the least people say, "Yeah, that's the one." Matthew and John get a lot of press. Luke is not, and yet Luke has a, a several notable things about him in, in the New Testament. Number one, Luke has written more of the New Testament than any other writer. Did you realize that? Um, even though he's only got two books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the content of it, the length of those, the volume of it, he's written 30% of the New Testament. That's more than any other New Testament writer. Um, nearly half of the content that is in the Gospel of Luke is not found in any other Gospel. Okay, and that speaks to the, to the specific idea of Luke deciding that he needed to write this thing, right? We can imagine Luke saying, man, I know things, and I've been told things about Jesus that the world needs to hear, like that the world needs to know about, that nobody else has written down, that nobody else has compiled into this way, um, especially when it comes to the parables. Many of the parables, especially some of the most beloved parables, um, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, the rich man and Lazarus, they're not found in any of the other gospels. They're only found in the gospel of Luke. Okay. And so Luke has a unique, uh, something to bring to the picture of who Jesus was and what he did. Um, you see that uniqueness come out in those other two titles that we talked about, right? Not only is, is Luke an evangelist, but he's also a historian or something like a historian, and he's also a physician. So look at verse 2. So again, we said, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good also to me, having followed all things closely from, for, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. So again, Luke is unique in, in, in any number of ways, right? For one thing, um, he's he's of the of the gospel writers. He's the only second generation Christian, all right, or maybe even third generation Christian. What do I mean by that, right? Matthew and John were both disciples. 
They were, they were apostles. They knew Jesus personally and had, and had walked with him, okay? Mark, some people, we don't know for sure, but some people speculate that Mark was maybe part of Jesus' larger entourage, right? Jesus didn't just walk around with the 12 all the time. He probably had a group of 50, 100, 150 people with him all the time. When Jesus uh, uh, elected or chose his disciples, Right. Um, There was a there was a big pool of people that had followed him from the beginning. And so he chose those 12 out of a larger group. And it may be the case, um, based on some clues in Mark's gospel, that maybe Mark was one of those disciples, but not one of the the 12 disciples. Okay, but Luke, that's not the case for Luke. Luke is. After that, um, Luke came to faith after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, after the church had been began to spread. He is an early convert to Christianity, but he's not one of that first generations of believers. As far as we can tell, Luke is a Gentile also. He's the only Gentile of the group. And so it's possible that he was from Antioch, which is a, a, a town kind of up the coast in Syria um, from, from Jerusalem. That was one of the early cities that Christianity kind of took hold in. Um, the Bible tells us that it was the first place that the followers of Jesus were called Christians. Um, and, it's, and it's possible that Luke was a Gentile from that city. And so we notice that in many ways, Luke is writing to Gentiles. Okay, and that's one distinct thing about his gospel compared to the other ones. Luke is writing to Gentiles. Um, he's writing a gospel um, that bridges the Jewish faith and the, the Christian faith that is emerging, right? He's trying to show how these things are connected and how this Jewish faith can be um, connected to, to a ministry to the Gentile world. And so he's trying to show those continuities between those things. Um, in fact, um, the, the, the reality is is that he, because he's a second-generation Christian, most of the events that take place in, in fact, all of the events that take place in his gospel, he wasn't there for, right? He had to learn those things as from, from somebody else. He had to interview, essentially, an eyewitness to learn these things, okay? There's actually a famous transition in the gospel, I mean, in the book of Acts, where Luke is telling the story and he's talking about they went here and they went here and they went here. And then all of a sudden the language changes and it starts saying we went here and we did this and we did whatever. And what we believe that is an indication of is that is the point at which Luke joins the mission, right? He is now part of Paul's band of, of missionaries that are going and, and, and spreading the gospel. And so at that point he's speaking from his own eyewitness testimony. But up until then, everything that he knew about Jesus and the history of the faith and the things that had gone on, he had to learn from other people. And so Luke is, there's this, there's this, we get this image of Luke, even in this passage, that he is a kind of historian. Okay? And so notice the wording in verse three of the way he describes the process by which he gathered information and wrote, wrote the gospel of Luke. Okay? So he says this, he says, I followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. So each one of those words, depending on your translation, is kind of full of a little bit of extra meaning. That we, I followed these things, right? That could just as easily be translated investigated. I investigated these things. Um, I have delved into them. I have looked into them, um, with diligence, right? He says that he looked into what? All things, right? He was trying to discover all these different stories and all the aspects. And he, he wanted to, to, to know everything. He wasn't 
um, uh, happy to just get a few isolated stories to, to paint Jesus in a certain light. No, he wanted to get the whole picture, right, to, to investigate all things when it comes to Jesus Christ. Um, he did this um, closely, the Greek word akrabos, which means carefully, with exactness, right? He's not looking to give generalizations. When you read the Gospel of Mark, so somebody joked one time and said, uh, nobody in here remembers the old show Dragnet, maybe a few of you, right? But there was just the facts, ma'am, right? Like the, that was what, uh, Friday? Officer Friday? Yeah, he'd say, just the facts, ma'am, right? Mark is the Dragnet Gospel, okay? It's just the facts, man. He's the most bare-bones stories, um, he is not mincing words, like he's not wasting any, anything, okay? Um, he, is, he is very concise. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case with Luke, right? Luke is, is, is a little more verbose. Um, he, he tells the stories with a little di- bit of a different style, but he's, but he's doing that with exactness, right? He wants to know actually what happens. That, that phrase, from, for some time past, is, is, is literally translated from the beginning. So again, what does he want to do? He doesn't just want to learn what happened during Jesus' ministry. The Gospel of Mark, for example, starts with Jesus' ministry. Luke doesn't want to start there. Luke wants to go back to when? To the beginning. And so Luke's Gospel actually ends before Jesus is even conceived, right? It begins even before Jesus has taken on flesh and come to earth. He wants to go from the beginning to know the whole story. And finally, he says, I wanted to give an orderly account, right? A consecutive, sequential story that I could tell people, okay? All of these things mark sort of a a historical mindset in Luke. Almost as if he is saying, I'm going to lay down the definitive account of the life and times of Jesus Christ. And so presumably, he is talking to Paul to get his information for Acts, um, but he's also going to other church leaders, right? He's talking to Peter, probably. He's talking to John um, about the events of, of Jesus' life and the disciples and, and the whole process or whatever. Um, Luke, and one of the reasons why we're doing um, Luke also is because, you know, we're about to go into Advent season, right, and then into the Christmas season. And, man, the best place for, for the Christmas story is Luke. And so we'll be hitting um, Luke's Christmas story at about Christmas. But then the question is, you go, where did he learn about the Christmas story? How did he know about that encounter with Elizabeth? And how did he know about, um, the angel coming and talking to Mary? Like, how do we, how does he know about these things? Well, the answer is he must've interviewed these people. He must've talked to Mary. Maybe he talked to Elizabeth. Um, he learned these stories from these people. And so Luke has literally gone and interviewed people functionally, right? He's gone and found out these stories from the eyewitnesses um, who experienced them. He's the closest thing that we have in the New Testament era to a historian, all right? And so sometimes he's given that title. And so maybe it's just like a point of application. What I hope, what my prayer is, as we come into this study, (coughs) is that we would look to Luke with the same sort of diligence, Right? Does that make sense? Um, that we would know, that we would delve into these things um, the way Luke did. That we would search them out, that we would want to investigate all things closely from the beginning in an orderly fashion so that we would know these stories as well. Because in a sense, that is exactly why he is telling these stories, and it ties into that last idea. Luke is not only an evangelist, he's not only a historian, but he is a physician, And so in verse 4, he kind of gives his reason for why he is writing his gospel. And he says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So in Colossians 4, 
Um, if you if you look in Colossians four, it seems to indicate that Luke was a doctor. That was his profession. He was a, he was a physician. Um, he may have continued to be a physician as he went with Paul on his missionary journeys. Um, and when we read his gospel, and he's obviously writing it to everybody, but he seems to particularly be writing it to this guy named Theophilus. Okay, and we and we don't really know anything about Theophilus, but it's obvious that that Luke is concerned. He has a physician's concern for the well-being of Theophilus. And again, we don't know anything really about Theophilus. You don't even know who he is. Some people don't even think he's a real person. Some people think that Theophilus is a name that is standing in representatively for the church as a whole, um, because the name Theophilus means Theo. Philo, it's, it's friend of God is basically what it means, okay? And so it is, it is, it's saying, I want you to be assured of the things that you have been taught, friend of God, okay? And so it probably was an actual guy. It probably is a real person and, and, a, and a real person's name. Um, and, and, and so it doesn't really matter whether that one is true or the other. But the reality is, is that, again, he's pointing us to this idea. I want you to have certainty concerning these things, right? I want you to have security in your belief in Jesus Christ, to know the exact truth, to live your life without doubt, to live your life without uncertainty when it comes to the things of Jesus, and maybe more importantly, for Theophilus, and maybe more importantly for Luke's gospel, to have assurance of your place within that gospel, right? To have assurance of your relationship and how you fit in to God's story in all these things. So like I said earlier, Luke is, is a uniquely Gentile gospel, right? A uniquely Greek kind of gospel. It's focused in different ways on, on, on being um, a non-Jew. Okay, so for one, the Greek that it is written in, most of the New Testament is written in Greek. Maybe all of it was originally written in Greek. Um, but the Greek that Luke is written in is much more polished than the other Gospels, right? It's obvious that the person who is writing has a command of the Greek language that maybe those other people don't, which would make sense with what we know about Luke, right? If he's a Gentile, if he's somebody who is a non-Jew from a Greek-speaking area of, of, the, of, the, of the world, that would make perfect sense. And so um, Luke is, is educated in the Greek language. Um, but more more particular to this, this Greek characteristic of his gospel, he's interested in how Jesus is connected to the Greek world, right? To the world outside of just Israel. And that's led a lot of people to suspect that the, the, this Theophilus guy, right, this, that his identity uh, as a Greek person is more significant to the whole story than maybe we would just think if we were passing through. That maybe it's directly, the whole point of the, story, the Gospel of Luke is directly connected to Theophilus' Gentile status and even Luke's Gentile status. And this is what I mean by that, right? Jesus uh, is Jewish, right? Um, Jesus' is, teaching is very Jewish, Um Jesus comes from the Jewish people. Uh, he is the Jewish Messiah. Um, he's fulfilling Jewish scriptures. Um, he is controversial among the Jews, right? It's the Jews who are contending against him, by and large, in those early years of the church, right? And, and we have to wonder um, if there's a certain amount of uncertainty that came in. Like, imagine the story. Do you remember the story of when uh, Peter is eating with Gentiles 
and uh, and he's having a good time, and he's just eating whatever's there or whatever. And then some leaders from Jerusalem show up, and then he stops eating what the Gentiles are eating and kind of peels away and kind of makes them feel like second-class citizens and uh, is, is sort of living in a kind of hypocrisy there. Paul calls him out for us, right? But imagine what it would be like to be one of those Gentiles, right, to have kind of said, uh, you know, when the Jews showed up, all of a sudden we were the weirdos, right, that we're not the people who... Uh, they're the real Christians. They're the real followers of Jesus. We are just this add-on or something. And so I wonder if there was a certain amount of uncertainty in Theophilus, right? If he's wondering and saying, man, is Christianity something for the Gentiles, right? Is it something that we're even supposed to be a part of? Is this just a Jewish thing? Should we just leave it to the Jews? The Jews seem to be the ones that are, are happy about it and mad about it and all these different things. Maybe we should just step out and leave these things to the Jews, And I think that's part of what Luke is coming in to do. He's saying, man, I want you to have certainty about these things. I want you to have certainty not only about what Jesus has done, but I want you to have certainty about your place in it. That Jesus has come for you as well, Theophilus. Um, That he has come to seek and to save what is lost, not just among the people of Israel, but among the lost sheep of the nations, right? Among the lost sheep of the Gentiles. And so I think that's one reason that uh, that Luke is writing this letter. And I think it's a question that is particularly present in the church today, right? Because, again, of all, for lots of reasons, it's 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 a question that's always there. But I think with all the cultural stuff we got going on, all the political stuff we got going on, all this unity, all the alienation, um, the, the crazy numbers that we're seeing in terms of, of um, young people and their relationship to the Christian faith, um, of this rise of what's called the nuns, not nuns like like uh, ladies in, in a monastery nuns, but like nuns meaning when they write what religious background they are on a, on a survey, they say, none, I don't, I don't have one. I have no religious affiliation. I think there's a, something going on in our culture that there are a lot of people that come to Christianity, that maybe come to the church, that come to all the trappings that come along with it, good, bad, and indifferent, um, and they say, I don't know if I'm really supposed to be a part of this. Is this just a thing for those people? Um, has Jesus, you know, Christians and, and people in the South or, or whatever, is just this their little thing that they should be about and the rest of us should just go do our own thing? And so I think there's similar questions, right? The, just as, as, as the question would have been asked, is this only for the Jews? Maybe you could even say, is this only for the religious people who have always believed in Christianity or something? And the answer is no. Jesus has come to save all those who would be saved to fulfill the scriptures, and to bless all the nations. And he wants you, right? He wants you and wants you to be a part of that family. And so uh, Daryl Bach, who is kind of the leading scholar on the, on the Gospel of Luke that's, that's alive today, he kind of goes through and he just says, man, here's some of the things that Luke draws out that none of the other Gospels quite notice as well, okay? Luke points out, how God regards the poor and those in need, how God respects women and those on the fringe, how God is always looking to include the Gentiles in his larger plan, how we should live ethically so that repentance involves not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with others, how the program of God points to Christ, who is the bringer and of, of, the, of the spirit that will enable us to follow him. 
how the coming of the Spirit brings a new era to the church and that everything is different after that point. How God's mission was accomplished by people simply being faithful to God and living according to his word. How God's people cared for one another and worked um, for unity with each other, right? Bach says all of these things are, are drawn out in a unique way um, compared to the other Gospels. And I think all of those issues are super important for what our culture and country and everything else is going through right now. And so I think probably if we were going to study any gospel, certainly it's God's word, and any of them would be um, important for us to read. But I think there's unique um, stuff going on in in the gospel of Luke um, that will bless us and help us to minister to people and to love people around us um, and take the message of the gospel to our community. And so that's what I hope we'll do. Um, I hope as we as we get into Luke, it's my intention to do this, uh, just so you kind of have a heads up to where we're going. It's my intention to go through Luke verse by verse, passage by passage, section by section for a while, and then we'll pause and we'll take a break and we'll do something else for six or eight weeks or something like that, and then we'll come back to it and we'll go for a little while and then we'll take a break, right? And so that maybe... Um, at that rate, we'll probably be in, in, in Luke for, I don't know, two or three years, okay? It's not all we'll be in, um, but we will be in Luke for a while. Um, I was kind of flipping through and, and doing nerdy pastor stuff, and I was like, man, I bet you I could easily get 90 sermons out of Luke. Was, I mean, like, I wouldn't even have to work. Like, just doing each little section, I could do 90 sermons. Right? That's two years, man. That's a lot of sermons, okay? And you're probably going, man, Ash, I don't want to be in Luke for two years. Um, and and so, so we're going to break it up. We're going to give you a break here and there or whatever, and we're going to do some other things. But it's, we're going to be in it for a little while, and I hope um, that it will bless you, and I hope that you will be encouraged as we encounter Jesus and, and see the message that Luke has about how Jesus um, has a mission to the world. Uh, Anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, and just pray for God's blessing um, over the coming months, um, that he would use our time in Luke um, to not only draw us closer to him, but to send us out to each of those those groups, to the marginalized, to the the hurting, to the lost, to the foreigner, um, kind of all those things that we've been talking about our church focusing on, uh, to those on the fringe um, that God would... Um, give us a heart for those people uh, and, and find ways that we could connect to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we ask that as, as we set out on, on this study um, of the Gospel of Luke, God, that you would use these things to give us more Jesus. Um, that you would, God, make us see our Savior more clearly, more truly. God, that we would be drawn to his life and his heart God, that we would be in awe of his, his faithfulness and his sacrifice. God, that we would be emboldened um, by his resurrection, God, his ascension. God, in all those things that we would know 
him better, that in doing so we would know our own hearts better. God, that as we know those things, that we would recognize the great calling that you have for us. God, that we would see those around us, that we would recognize the lostness and the pain and the hurt. God, the disappointment and the brokenness um, that you have called us to be, God, evangelists to, to be physicians to, God, and to be historians to, to people who tell the story, who encourage people by your word of the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. God, help us to do that over these coming weeks um, and months and even years um, as we draw closer to you and your scriptures. Father, we love you. We praise you. Uh, We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.